no money down. Uh, we actually left with a check because we had, um, you know, half a month's rent from the one unit that's currently filled. You know, we had taxes from 2019. You know, we're paying arrears here in Indiana, so we had that, and we also had a security deposit that we got as, as credits. But since there was no, you know, cash expenditure because of the cross collateralization, we literally left closing with you know those things to to cover expenses you know, going forward. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by RealBlueSpruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Adams, the one and only. Actually, there's um, there's at least three Adam Adamses all within real estate, which kind of surprises me. Um, but recently... Uh, someone else posted on their Facebook uh, one of the episodes with me, and this guy named Adam Adams reached out, and then this other guy named Adam Adams. So there's really three real uh, Adam Adamses in real estate, just that I know of. So it's a small world. Today I'm with Nick Barlow, the Nick Barlow, unless there's more. I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, welcome to the <laughs> show, like Nick. I'm on Facebook. 20 on Facebook. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Uh, more than maybe Adam Adams. You think? I haven't uh, searched your name on Facebook, to be honest. I already got your podcast, <laughs> so I'd have to, have to go check on that. But got it, got it. One. So it's, this, <laughs> is really, this is going to be a really fun and interesting episode. It's a, it's a type of episode we don't always do. And so I'm excited to have Nick on here because – there's a lot of there's a lot of podcasts that really only have people that have been involved for 20 years or you know they have 100 million uh blah 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 so we were thinking you know someone who is in the middle of the journey they've done a lot of really cool things they're in the middle of the journey and they're ready to scale to the next level so that's what we're going to be doing here with Nick Barlow is just talking a little bit about how to, how to go from, he has several rentals now, but how does he get from that to, to ultimately where he wants to go, which is to break into commercial multifamily. So we're going to be talking about some of this journey, how you can get from wherever you are to where Nick is, or if you are where Nick is, we're going to be talking about how you get to, you know, where, Rod Cleef and, and Joe Fairless and Michael Blanc are. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun episode. Nick, why don't we start here? Just kinda I know I know that you were in the military, you um since quite a while. I know that you have um a few different uh r- real estate rentals, some of them multifamily, perhaps some of them single family. And um but but the rest of the bio I want you to kind of talk to the listener. Um, and share with them, really, the, the focus of this bio is to show them the, the important parts to what's going to help them get to where they are to the next level. So if you could kind of give me a little bit more of the history that matters to that, and we'll get on to the show. Yeah, so like you mentioned, I spent seven years uh, as an active duty Army officer. Um, you know, grew up in Ohio, graduated in 2008, and then brings to the end of 2015. So I transitioned you know, to quote-unquote corporate life. Um, different speed between the two, and I, you know, started. I wasn't getting bored, but started kind of doing some self-study on my on my own accord, and that's when I discovered uh, real estate. Uh, my wife and I purchased our first triplex in October of 2017, 
And from then to now, we've grown to five rental properties, 13 doors. We have one single family, then a duplex, uh, two triplexes. Uh, the second one we just closed on within the last two weeks of, of recording. And we also have a, a fourplex. So it's taken a combination of, you know, saving and then also using some uh, creative uses of other people's money to, to get to this point today. Nice. Well, I want to I want to get into, you know, just a bit of that history. Um, you did you did mention that, you know, you have fourplexes and, and duplexes, threeplexes and things like this, like all kind of spread out. Um, was it 13 doors? Yeah, 13 doors. doors. Okay. And, but you, you mentioned one thing that I thought was interesting. Um, and this is the creative real estate podcast. You said you did some creative financing. Um, what's one of the creative deals that you did in the beginning that helped you get to where you are? Uh, in the beginning, it wasn't related to create creativity. It was just saving money, having a down payment going and, and, and buying a house. And the creative one is really the, the most recent. Uh, that's what we closed on two weeks ago. So using the same lender, we, we cross-collateralized uh, the, the debt on our fourplex uh, to use as the down payment for the triplex. So the background on that is we bought uh, the fourplex about, it was worth 130 when uh, that's what we, we paid for it. And that was an undermarket um, deal, essentially. We got it from a wholesaler. And uh, in, in between the last year and now, we've uh, had to replace the roof, you know, replace a couple of water heaters, you know, done some other you know, small tidying up. And we initially wanted to do a cash out refinance. Uh, we thought the value would appraise in the, in the 165 range. And that's where it did when we got the reappraisal. I'm in the Midwest, so those are, you know, average prices for, for the Midwest. Folks in California probably like up and out there. That's so cheap. But that being said, um, when, when we did reappraise, we suddenly had you know, a pretty large amount of equity. And our lender said, well, rather than doing a cash out refinance, I, we can just collateralize. So that's ended up what we, we had done. So uh, when we closed two weeks ago, no money down. Uh, we actually left with a check because we had, um, you know, half a month's rent from the one unit that's currently filled. You know, we had taxes from 2019. Then, you know, we pay in arrears here in Indiana. So we had that. And we also had a security deposit that we got as, as credits. But since there was no, you know, cash expenditure because of the cross collateralization, we literally left closing with, you know, those things to, to cover expenses, you know, going forward. So that's the, the creative uh, store under my belt. That's cool. I like that. Well, um, let's let's start here. Um, let me ask you where you plan to go. Like, what is your what is your ultimate goal? Uh, ultimately, the goal is to get to a hundred doors, at least in the short term. You know, kind of next five years or so. If I can't, you know, do that quicker, uh, gain financial independence, and then from there, really scale to get into probably five to six hundred door range, and really turn this into. You know, essentially, you know, the, the, the side hustle into the, the full-time income source. And, okay. uh, and as we go along the way, you know, we'll start giving back and, you know, do education, have more time to do, um, you know, charitable events locally and you know, those kinds of things. Okay. So to get to that 100 and ultimately 500 doors, is your plan to syndicate them or buy them on your own, do creative stuff, um, what are you kind of looking at? Where do you want to go that way? Uh, in the short term, we're looking at uh, just doing the syndication. You'll find other, you know, other folks that are like-minded. You know, you'll find them to deal, pull it together, and, and, and turn that into success. And that's how I think we'll get to 100. Um, how we're going to get to 500 is a really good question. And uh, I have a couple doors to go before I can solve that, that problem. So I haven't really thought beyond you know, the next 100, 100-ish doors, to be honest with you. Okay. Got it. Got it. So, um, 
So in the beginning of this episode, I, I'm going to have you just ask me a couple of questions that you think might help you get from where you are with your 13 doors to your 100 or 500 door and, and see if there's anything that I can add value to you in case someone else is listening and they have, you know, around 13 doors and, and that's their goal too. So uh, why don't we start there? Do you have a question or two that you can ask um, right now on camera on, on, and will help, hopefully help a, a lot of other people? You know, the, the first thing I'd like to ask is, do you have a, or I should say, how strictly do you adhere to a, a profit per door margin? And I ask that because when I, when I think of that, that fourplex, you know, a, a typically like $100 per door is kind of like the, you know, like the bare minimum people kind of quote. And I came in a little under that at, in the first place. But when I kind of look back, obviously it's, you know, raise rents a little bit over time, you know, have a couple of expenses. And now I've been able to cross collateralize that. And you know, had I not done the deal, I wouldn't be, you know, able to have done the next deal. So, you know, how, how strict do you, you know, stick to those, those profit per door margins and, and why? Okay. Um, the profit per door is a number that my team doesn't look at as much with the commercial stuff. So I can do the math and I can say, you know, we've got an $11 million property that we're, um, we're about to close. We we're working on right now. And, um, basically what that boils down to is if, if it's a 7% cap rate, uh, then we're looking at it earning 770,000, um, basically 7% of the, the value. Um, another way to do it is to take 770,000, and divide it by the um, the NOI. So um, if you do that and you divide it by the 12 months that it takes, and then you divide that by the um, the number of doors that we have, it averages around uh, net net profit is going to average around um, $236, I think. So. Um, I suppose one of the parts of the answers to your question is, is, you know, what kind of profit per door is my team looking at? And so one way to answer that is, you know, I suppose others are very similar to this 200, $300 per door. Um, it's not the only thing that we look at though. In addition to that, I want, I want to make sure that the rent amount per door is a certain number. And what we have found is that you must purchase properties with at least $700 in rent. And you don't want to go much higher than $1,100 in rent. So your real sweet spot is between seven and eleven. dollars per month per unit and the reason why that's such an important number is number one it's going to help you find the right tenant the right resident the person who's going to be paying the rent every month and what they have found is if your if your rental amount is under that 700 like you did mention the midwest and i've got 
I actually have some properties that I've recently sold and that I'm working to sell now that are in the Midwest and the rental price per door was closer to 500. And, um, and I, that really helps me um, solidify all of this um, research that others have done. It's difficult to be able to get to, to net profit 200 per door if the amount is 500. So you first got to look at the sweet spot. These, the, these properties in the Midwest that had the 500 per door are, are my, definitely my hardest properties. So I, I was looking at, um, I was looking at cap rate. I was looking at things like price per door. I was looking at this other uh, metrics that, that people buy that is the 1% rule. So I was actually trying to do a 3% rule. So like I bought a, this is a long time ago. I just sold this actually and lost a ton of money. But I was, I heard that the 1% rule was good, that the 2% rule was even better. And so I was trying to find a 3% rule. Um, so what that, what that means is I actually purchased a property in St. Louis um, in a pretty terrible neighborhood. And um, I had uh, people look at it for me and nobody mentioned you know, that the, the market itself wasn't very good, but it was bringing, this was a fourplex. I don't know if I said four or five, but this was a fourplex and it was bringing in 550 per door, 550. Uh, so 2,200 gross per month. And if you take the 2,200 and multiply it by 12, that's uh, 26,400. I was able to purchase that property at, um, 55,000. So basically, um, just in two years, I would, I would be able to pay for the whole property, right? In two years. So I got a mortgage on it. And, um, and later on, one of the tenants moved out. And it was very difficult to get that unit to be filled again. The unit was difficult to fill. And it it kept staying stagnant. And then another, um, and, and, and then, an, oh, I forgot to say that the property manager gave us a bid that we needed to put in seven grand, $7,000 to turn it. So uh, immediately wrote the check, $7,000, turned the unit, and then another tenant moved out. And I, and I told my assistant, I said, do not, give them another 7,000 until they feel that she didn't listen. She wanted to, um, she cared more about, um, making them done so they could both get filled. And, um, the, the issue was that, uh, she didn't listen. And now we put another 7,000 to, to turn that unit. And, um, this happened slowly over a couple of years and a couple of the morals of the story are if the listener listens to us um, make the mistake of only talking about the profit per door or only make the mistake of talking about the 1%, 2%, or 3% rule 
if if the listener hears us talk that the main thing is just numbers, what will happen is they'll make the a, a mistake like many that have gone before that have bought in a, a place where the real ultimate metrics are not there. So I guess I want to say first that it's not as simple as just the profit per door. But to answer the other part of your question, as far as how much you should be making per door, I feel also that people miss a lot of the parts when they're buying maybe a single family house or something like that. And let's just go in and talk about uh, a normal single family house um, th- that would be, let's just call it a hundred grand. Go, so that's nothing like my, my neighborhood. The single family houses here are like 600,000. Um, and also I know Youngstown, Ohio, the single family houses are five or 15 or 20 or 25 or 30,000. But, but if I could just try to find a middle ground of a hundred grand, what's going to happen is people are going to um, are going to say, I'm paying a hundred. The rent is, let's just call it a thousand. Well, that is good because so far that's fitting within my, um, that's fitting the 1% rule because the 1% of the annual rent is, um, is the price purchase price. So that hits the 1% rule, a thousand per month and a hundred thousand purchase price. It's also fit hitting the right metrics of you should be above 700 and, and, um, below 1100. So you're right in that sweet spot also. So that's all good. And then that person will say that, um, I, my mortgage is going to be, um, I think it'd be like 750 bucks or something. I hope that's accurate. I'm estimating. So they'll say like the mortgage is $750, the PITI, principal interest, taxes and insurance, PITI 750. And that person, and, and this happens a lot. So I, I've, I've hosted uh, over 300 different meetups and at every meetup that I host, I, I have conversations with the people that are there. And it feels like most of them would say that their cash flow was $250. Does that make sense so far, Nick? Have you heard people say um, the rent is 1000 the PITI is 750 so I'm netting, quote, I'm netting $250. Have you heard that before? Yeah, I've heard people, you know, kind of speak to that. And, you know, I think if you really do a lot of research, you know, you'll find that there are other expenses you should account for. And I think that's where you're yeah. going with your, you know, your conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I first want to at least debunk the, the thought that 1% automatically makes sense um, because sometimes it won't. And I want to debunk that the 700, 1100 always makes sense because sometimes it might not. So the way that I do my mathematical calculations for just about every property that I buy, and it always starts because I got into larger multifamily, and this number is always right around the 50% mark is the expenses, is the, um, is the actual expenses. And that's going to come with 
your maintenance, your lawn maintenance, your, your, um, your snow removal, depending on where you live, right? Your tree trimming, it's going to come with the, the sprinklers. It's going to come with, if, you, if you're the owner and you have to pay the water bill, a lot of times, sometimes the owner will have to pay um, electricity or other, other things like, like that. Additionally, you, I think it was you that just mentioned that you had to redo a roof recently. Was that you? Yes, I had to replace a roof on a fourplex in September that I purchased in May. Okay, so how much did that cost like to do your your roof there? And typically, that would be anywhere from for a fourplex in my mind twelve to twenty thousand normally. What was yours? Yeah, ours was right at ten thousand. It was like ninety nine hundred and eighty two dollars or something like that. Okay, okay, okay. So I know it's market specific. Like I think that the the it costs a lot more to do a roof in in Denver than it might in Ohio or something like that, Indiana. Um, so sometimes it'll change, but 12 to 20 is what I was thinking. You said you got it for 10 grand. I think that's awesome. Good job. And that's going to last you several years. Hopefully that'll last you 20 years, but it just depends, right? When, when do I have to do this again? When does the furnace have to be done again? If the tenant moves out, I'm going to have to skip rent for that month. How often am I going to have a, have a tenant stay? A lot of people, they count in for vacancies. Um, they count in for maybe 10 or 15% of the, of the rent automatically for vacancies. So like if you have 1,000 a month, they might be saying 850 is, is what I'm really netting because of the vacancy automatically I have to count cut out the 10 or 15%. So when I cut out the maintenance, the capital expenditures, like the roof, the, um, the tenant turnover, like how it cost me seven grand to, to turn over one unit that was only $550. So it actually cost me more to, then a whole years of income for that, um, that one unit, right? So once you start counting all of these things in, it's generally half of whatever you spent, whatever you're getting is going into back into the property. So if I do that math and I, I would say that $750 is my, my mortgage, I would also say $500 is my expenses. So I would, in this case, be around a negative uh, 250 instead of a positive 250. So, um, all in all, if if you really want to dive into that, I would I would say if you can do the math like this, half of it all all has to go somewhere else. Then I pay my mortgage and my principal and interest, and I want to still be able to net at least a hundred bucks. If you could do that, I think you're doing a screaming deal. There's not a lot of places that you can buy for, for, for full price to do that right now. And I think that it matters more for you that are listening to say, does that mean I need to get a discount for something in a good area? Or does that mean I need to pay full price in a bad area? I would rather suggest that you get a discount in a good area because the more problems happen 
on the properties that are C and D class. Like that fourplex that I told you about, uh, that was that was a D. That was a D class, right? So it doesn't mean you're going to find a D class, but you want to be able to um, look for the better areas and just get the discounts where you can you can make that. So that's what I would suggest is always cash flow. And I'd say a hundred bucks per door is fine, except that I want you to cut out the right amount of expenses in the beginning. Um, so that was that was a long-winded answer to your question, but I hope that it helps like anyone who's listening who really wants to get into that. We, we don't always look at that because we're buying uh, more of the commercial. So pr- just the exact per door thing is less than perhaps like the, the overall cap rate, the debt service coverage ratio and things like that. So um, do you have any other questions that you want to ask? And I promise not to get long-winded on the next one. <laughs> yeah. So for folks who are in my you know, kind of mid journey, you know, they want to bust in the commercial space. And you know, in, in my situation, I live in a, a small town population is 14,000, probably a three hour drive from four significant metropolitan centers, you know, Chicago, Indianapolis, Columbus, and to name a couple you know, I, w- I want to get into those markets and building relationships with brokers. You know, you can't just go to a meetup that's three hours away on a consistent basis. You know, when you're working full time, have family, kid, kid responsibilities, that type of thing. So what's the, in, in, in your mind, what's the best way to, to really build those relationships over the long term to even get access to some of these markets? Okay. For, for those people who, are listening and they want to do what you want to do. That's to get into larger multifamily, bigger commercial deals. Um, they need, like you said, they need to have relationships and, and they need to have knowledge. How to, how, what's the best route for them to go would be, I would give them five steps. I would give them five, uh, five hard steps. The first step is going to be your mindset. I want for you to first, before you worry about having the relationships and everything like that, I want you to at least wrap your head around the asset class, the bigger asset class, and say, I can do this, right? Look at the bigger multifamily and say, I can do this. But you just got to ask yourself, how can you? Like, what is the way for you to do this? So I want first step. You got to know that you can do it. You got to feel comfortable. You got to be approaching it, looking forward to it. And you don't need to have like, uh, you don't need to do baby steps. You don't need to go single family, duplex, fourplex, eightplex. You can, uh, in fact, I went straight to multifamily. I never owned a single family before I owned an apartment. Um, so, So you can do that too. So that's step one, mindset. Step two is going to be, just the free and very low cost education. Um, so podcasts like this, continue to learn what other people have done, get, your, get some ideas. Um, one thing that's, that's going to do for you is gonna start to help you have the right um, language. You gotta speak the language because when you start going into talking with those, um, those potential partners, you wanna be able to have the right lingo. So Step two, after your, your mindset's wrapped around it, you're going to get lo- no and low cost education. Step three is you're going to get high cost education. Now basically hire a mentor, partner, uh, partner with somebody, 
uh, I know I do it. Joe Fairless does it. Um, uh, Michael Blanc does it. Rod Cleef does it. I, I could name a lot of mentors out there. Um, so you're going to want to, um, now that your mindset's where you want to go, now that you've started to speak the language, now that you know what's going on, don't jump into paying for that mentor right away. First, do the no and low cost stuff. Then the third step is hire a mentor. You need somebody in your corner to make sure that you're not going to make any mistakes. They will also help put you in touch with the right people. That's step three. Step four is to start aligning with the team. Now, this could be align with a team that's already there or start creating your own team. Now, I built my team from scratch. So, in the beginning, it was more of like the blind leading the blind. So when I started to syndicate, I had done multifamily for like 15 years at the time. And when I started to syndicate, in the very beginning, nobody on my team had syndicated. And so we built it from scratch. And it worked, but I recommend what's, what I think is better and stronger for you is, is to align with a team that's already there. And you, you mentioned that you've been to a, a couple of events. Your wife just went, was just at an event last week, right? So this is the best way for you to start finding those people, start meeting them. This podcast, I know for sure that now that you're on here, you're going to get people calling you right away being like, hey, I, I, would, I want to align with you. You've already done 13 doors, etc." Be cautious about the blind leading the blind. If, if, if you, you haven't done it all the way and they haven't done it all the way, be cautious of it, be conscious of it, think about it. Um, if you could partner with somebody, there's eight ways to partner in the syndications, okay? Eight ways. So this is still within step three, aligning with a team or creating your own team. There's eight ways that you can get involved. And I hope I remember them all. I didn't prepare for this ahead of time, but... One is is being a money raiser, raising equity, being an investor liaison, okay? One of the ways is basically by bringing the equity. That's a very valuable piece. Another way is to bring the deal. A team like mine, we, we need deals. We need good deals. If you found a good deal, you're automatically on the team. We'll raise all the money for you. We'll do all the other pieces, right? So, the, the third way, so, so find the money, find the deal, would be to underwrite the deal. If you spent time underwriting, if, you, if that was your strength, if you're really good at underwriting, this could be a great way for you to get on a team and add value to people that are already doing it so it isn't the blind leading the blind. Another way would be if you were a passive investor. So this is a good way to, to actually partner. I don't know if you knew this, but a, a, a passive investor is an equity partner. That means they own part of the deal. If the deal makes a lot of money, they make, they make even more money. So you could be a passive investor. That's a really good way. A property manager, fifth way, be a, manage the property. Um, you can add value to a team by putting systems in place and managing the property. Um, we have a market research team. The, all they do is, is their forward thinking and they look for areas that have the 700 rent to the 1100 rent that, that, you know, C areas and B areas, no D areas. You could do market research. 
there's a few other ways. I won't dive into them, but I do have podcast episodes on it. If you want to scroll back to around episode 280-ish, you'll see that I have the eight ways to get involved in a multifamily, and that can help you answer that question for yourself. Which one are you? I already named five ways, and there's three more that if you go to around 280, episode 280-ish, you should be able to find that. The fourth way, after you've aligned with a team or created your own team, now you have to take massive action. You, you've hired a coach, you're, you're mentally set, you've listened to podcasts, you've networked, and you've started to align with a team or create your own team. It's time for you to take absolute massive action. And the biggest part that's going to hold you back is your fear. The, it's like you're going to feel so scared to buy your first hundred. That's why you want to have the right team, the right mentor in place, because that's going to help you to be able to make that decision. I've seen a lot of people go, go from number one or two to number four or five, and they've, they've kind of they've lost money. They, did, they didn't have a mentor in their corner. They didn't have the right team on, on the, they didn't have the right people on the team and they, and they've lost money. So if you follow that five steps, um, I know that you'll be able to make the money. So if you want a tip for networking, ask more questions. If you want a tip for like when you're at a, uh, a conference or a boot camp, what a lot of people do is they just tell their story automatic but if, if you find a way to, to bring out the other person's story, um, you're going to build stronger relationships. It's really interesting when we use our two ears and one mouth in that order, um, how, how effective it can be. So I hope that helps kind of see where you're going. Um, don't skip the mentor part, by the way. That's a part where people see that it's a cost um, and they feel like they feel like they're going to um, that that it's a waste or something like that. Bigger Pockets often talks about how you you shouldn't have a mentor. Um, I've I've seen too many people that are on Bigger Pockets day in and day out end up losing money because they buy into that. I I'm not selling my own services. I'm just saying if you don't have a mentor in your corner. Um, it's going to be really hard for you to to make money by going into these larger assets. I think it's really important. Nick, let's get talking about you. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we're going to take a real quick break, and we'll be right back with me asking Nick some questions. Have you ever looked in the mirror and thought you'd be further along financially by now? If so, you're not alone. Many people find themselves wanting to ditch their 9 to 5, wishing they had more time with their family. What most people want is to simply live the life that they choose, and with plenty of money to do so. The good news is you can live an abundant life through apartment investing. Mark and Tamil Kenny with Think Multifamily help you take back the time and freedom so that you can live free from the stresses that burden so many. Through multifamily investing, they teach you how to set your family up for a lifetime of true success and fulfillment. They have helped hundreds of people just like you. 
Patrick, for example, who since working with Think Multifamily has purchased over 900 units with another 850 under contract. And at 27 years old, was able to quit his demanding job in corporate America. Regardless of your age or profession, Think Multifamily can help you create the life of your dreams. As hosts of the new Think Multifamily podcast, Mark and Tamil will walk you through the journey step-by-step to make sure you are completely set up for success. Through this interview-style podcast, you will gain a proven strategic apartment investing system and hear stories from successful investors, all to help you be light years ahead of those who try to do it alone. Subscribe to the Think Multifamily podcast today at thinkmultifamily.com forward slash podcast and we're back with nick barlow i promised you we were going to get into some of his superpower and one thing that nick has learned over the last 13 doors that he's done is how essential how important doing the proper market research is and so i'm going to turn it over to you nick what happened what can you share with the audience it's going to help them Stay out of a sticky situation. The, you know, I'm going to paraphrase here, but uh, real estate's not just local, it's hyper-local. And one of the things that I, I can look at, you know, my own experience that is, so I, I you know, have a duplex that's about seven minutes drive away from essentially the core area where we invest in, in our small town. And you look at like drive time, it's about the same total major employers between our small city and the other smaller suburb out there. But the, the duplex out in the smaller suburb, I just have a hard time keeping it rented. I, have, I don't find the same quality tenants there as I do, you know, in, in, in the, the, the more urban type of area. And the experience we've, we've had is essentially I, I didn't realize real estate was as hyper-local as it is. I assumed the market research as, as close as I was would just kind of you know, cover, you know, the, the area and, and I, I'm not. I'm not experiencing that, to be honest. It's a little rough out there. Okay. Well, um, what is the way for the listener to now that they're hearing that it could go wrong? What's the What's the strategy for them? Or I guess what are you implementing in your business now uh, with this hyper local market research? Well, I'm. I'm not investing in anything that's not in a real, you know, urban area anymore. So when I, when I talk about going to the bigger markets, I like to go to like Indianapolis, Columbus, et cetera. Um, everything I, I currently, it's in the portfolio, isn't even in cities that large. You know, in my hometown, it's a population of 14,000. I'm doing fine there. It's the suburb that's, you know, those, you know, proverbial like two county roads intersecting. There's a couple of houses, even though it's only seven minutes away from a, a decent sized city. <clears throat> so that's kind of, I, I don't think it's uh, a house specific issue. I think it's more, you know, based on, on the location and, you know, because of that, I'm, I'm done investing locations like that and bigger urban areas. Okay. Okay. So um, do you have any properties that you're under contract on right now where you're kind of looking at right now that we could, we could talk a little bit about? Uh, I honestly don't. We just closed on uh, this last triplex uh, two weeks ago, and right now you know, we're focused on getting it renovated, getting it rehabbed, and then also kind of dealing with other duplexes we spoke about. So at, at this point, you know, 
mean, we're a small mom pop operation. You know, I work full time. I traveled last week. I'm traveling next week. Um, and my wife's at home. She takes care of the kids and, you know, does as much of the real estate stuff you know, in, in between as we can. So at, at this point, we don't have anything that's like definitely on the list. Our, our next steps are trying to partner with folks that she met with at the real, uh, Rod Cleese Real Estate Conference last weekend and, and really try to attack the, the Columbus market. Um, we have a couple of folks we've met through various ways that are, that are there, and now it's time to really focus and hone in on and building those relationships so we can start some type of deal flow in that market. Awesome. Well, I think this will be super valuable to anyone listening. You, um, you work full time and you have kids, right? You have like two Definitely. kids. How many kids again? Yeah, two kids. Uh, two. They're yeah. a boy and a girl, six and seven. Six and seven. Not, not far apart. So, nope. But you've been they're able at... to purchase 13 units in how long? How long has it taken you to purchase 13 units? So the, the first purchase was October of 2017, and the last one was you know, two weeks ago here in January 2020. So okay, over, so over you basically years is when, you basically had a period. a four-year-old and a five-year-old when you were when you were buying your first one, right? Full-time job, four-year-old, That's five-year-old, correct. and now you have a six and a seven-year-old, and you've you've bought 13. Let me ask you this question that I ask a lot of my audience members. Where were you five years ago? Like before, before you got into real estate, what were you doing? What were you worried about? What websites were you looking at? Were you thinking about real estate? Just take me back five years ago and tell me what that looked like. So five years ago, I was still in the U.S. Army. That was uh, the last full calendar year of service. Uh, at that particular time, I was actually in Africa in my area supporting Operation United Assistance, which the uh, mission to contain the Ebola virus disease. Um, real estate was not on the radar whatsoever. And we lived on post on the installation, so we were essentially renting. Um, you know, uh, in terms of investments, I was you know, really uh, focused on dividend investment purchases. You know, drip you know, with um, you know, stocks that pay dividends uh, consistently with blue chips. So that's kind of where the overall investment criteria was. We were maxing out uh, both of our IRAs at the time and being able to do that for a couple of years, going up a little market growth. It was just kind of where the C money came from in the real estate, but, you know, totally, totally different life than, than I'm living now. Yeah. Thank you so much for going into that. I do have, I do have one last question. Well, penultimate question after this i'm going to ask how people can find you because i know there's people that want to do that so the second to the last question um what advice do you have for the beginner real estate investor they're wanting to get in what do you have for them once you've done analysis just get out and go do it the amount of confidence that you get when you're able to to go out and do you know at first you you hear the word entrepreneur and you're like wow is that me but then you go out and you do it and, and you start, you know, you get a deal or two under your belt and do analysis and you get the confidence in your systems, get the confidence in, in yourself and in, in, in the industry. And then it's like, go forth and, and do it. I guess the, the best advice to give. Go forth and do it. And you said the amount of confidence that it gives you after you complete your first real estate transaction. I know that, that, that well, one of the other, 
uh, multifamily people, a good friend of mine, Michael, he says, he always says it's the law of the first deal. And, you know, he and Rod Cleef, I'm a big advocate to just go straight into 100 units. Like, that's just me. But <laughs> Michael and Rod, they both say, um, you know, if, if what it takes for you is to get like a fourplex or a duplex, then do that, you know? Because like they said, the, the law of the first deal, what will happen to you by feeling that confidence after you, you say to yourself, I did close a multifamily. It might have been a duplex, but I'm a multifamily investor now, you know? So I love that. Thank you so much. So you, they, they've got to take action. They've got to know the feeling that they're going to get on the other side of, of that success. So how do people find you? Nick, what's the, what's the number one best way? I know you're not huge on Facebook, as you mentioned a couple of times. I'm huge on Facebook, but what do people need to do to be able to reach you if they want to connect? Yeah, I'd say I'm the most active on bigger pockets uh, at Nick Farrell. I mean, you have the, you know, the, the info there for the show notes and everything. So I think that's where I'm the most active, you know, part of this is I need to get more active on Facebook and I'll try to you know, do better there. And I'm also on LinkedIn, but that's, you know, also kind of from like the, the professional side and necessarily the investing side. Uh, so any of those various ways, you know, I speak the English language. I'm more happy to, you know, meet and you know, speak and respond to anyone that reaches out to me. Awesome. So if if you are on bigger pockets, then why don't you go ahead and search right right now for Nick Barlow and um, connect with him and tell him that you heard his story on the Creative Real Estate Podcast and you want to connect. You want you want to see if you could do a deal together. Maybe you want to be a passive investor in his next deal. Whatever. Um, so jump on to BP. I call it BP. Bigger pockets. Connect with Nick Barlow and um, let him know you heard about him right here on the podcast, that his story was inspiring. And that's the reason why you're going to the next level is because of Nick Barlow. I'm sure that'll make his day. Nick, thanks for coming on the show. I'm grateful for you being willing to hop on, show where you've come over the last five and three years, show what you are doing now, closing your fourplex, replacing the roof, doing your threeplex. Um, thank you for your service in the Army. We all appreciate that very, very much. And I love to hear the update right here on this podcast when you accomplish that, that 100 units at the end of the year. So once that happens, I want, I want to talk to you again. I want to have you again on the show again. But for the listener, jump on to BP, find Nick Barlow. His contact info is also in the show notes. I'm going to let you go, brother. But until next time, think outside the box. Thanks for listening to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. If you got value out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you take the time to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. Until next time, think outside the box.